Good morning. Jared, not your turn. All right. Um, after we started this series, I, was, I, I thought that maybe, you know, my house would have been a good, uh, good buffer uh, for this series, but then um, welcome to my house has a very different con- connotation to Flo Rider than it does to us. So, yeah, yeah. So, nobody, nobody. All right, good. Um, we are finishing up this series on God's vision for His church. We're taking a look at this entire year, looking at what does it mean? What is the church? What is the church? And we're starting with God's vision for the church. And so we've got our little little house. Uh, Phil so eloquently described that this is the second house I've moved this week. Yeah, this is much easier. Yeah. Jeez, wow. Yeah. Yeah, no kidding. Paul, you going to help me out here? We're going to... Yeah, well, it wasn't my joke, it's Phil's, so we're good. <laughs> we're good. Uh, but anyway, uh, what we've got, what we've seen is that we've got a house on top of a mountain. On top of a mountain, we saw back in Isaiah 4, uh, God's vision for the church way back in the Old Testament, that there's a house up here, and it has some functions. And the way that we describe those functions is that everybody's talked to, uh, everybody, uh, everybody has a place, Everybody laughs, and everybody is challenged. Uh, and this house is on a mountain, and people stream up, the nations stream up, those who are not God followers stream up the mountain to see what is in store for them with God at the house. All right, And then we saw the mountain, the fact that Jesus as Messiah is the mountain. Then last week we saw that God builds the house with people, with people. 1,500 years ago, something happened historically. Constantine decided that Christianity was going to be the, uh, basically the national religion of the Roman Empire. So at that point in time, it became the Holy Roman Empire, which it wasn't holy and it was barely Roman, right? And so uh, at that point in time, the, 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 just the ethos of Christianity completely changed. It went from a movement to really just a stagnant deal. And so now for us, we have 1,500 years of history of of mental picture of the church being a building and not people that we've got to overcome that mentally. Okay, and so and so from from all of this history of of church being a location and a building and and you wonder why Christians want to become so political and and take over the government. Tied fifteen hundred years ago. The first four hundred years of Christianity, Christians didn't care about there being a Christian government. But now, because of 1,500 years of history, that's occurring. God never intended it that way. We looked at that last week, that we are a people set apart, completely separated from the people group of whatever country we live in. And so we've got all of this history to overcome mentally, that God is building together a people, not a building. And so as he's building us together, is there something, is there something that strengthens the building? Of course God does, of course God does. 
But we're going to take a look at a passage that answers that question. What strengthens the building? What strengthens the people of God together? See, there's, there's kind of a thought going around. It's, it's not necessarily new, but it's kind of a thought among Christianity today. I believe in Jesus, so why do I need to go to church? Right? There's truth to that. Because our decision to follow Jesus is individual. However, however, there is a reason to not go to church, but be among the rest of the people. We're going to look at Revelation chapter 7. We're going to be in Revelation today. Yeah, I like, oh no, Revelation. Yeah, scary, scary, scary. That's all right. What I see Revelation 7 being is God's view of the church right now. As he looks at us, as he looks at us, this is how he views the church right now. Now, disclaimer. Disclaimer about Revelation. If anybody ever, ever, ever says to you, they know the meaning of Revelation without a shadow of a doubt, 100% certain, run. They don't. Okay? I am about somewhere around, I don't know, 59% certain of the interpretation that I have of this passage. Maybe 63, uh, 68 at the highest. Okay? This is how I read this passage at this point in time in my life as, as I've done and taught for 20 plus years. This is how I read this right now. Okay? Revelation, I think God put it together this way. Once you think, oh, this is what this is, you read something else, and then it goes, ah, and God's like, yeah, I just wanted to keep you on your toes. Right? And so Revelation chapter 7, if we get an image of this is how God is looking at his church right now, this may actually help, help cut through some of the clutter that we have in our mind of Revelation. Revelation 7, verse 9. We have the verses up on the screen if you want to follow along in the Bible app. Uh, I encourage you in the events there. If you want to go back and refer to some of the verses and refer to the uh, Bible study, the extra verses that I reference in there, uh, you have to click save in order to come back to it throughout the week. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. After this, I looked. John wrote Revelation. And there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one could number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. He's describing the church, right? Our local church is pasty white. All right? Besides... Our Iraqi and Paul, and whatever Phil is, we're all pasty white. Jared, did I do that well? Okay, thank you. Sorry. sorry. <laughs> As Paul described a couple of weeks ago, we can't clap, we can't get on beat, we're just lucky we got a couple of guys that can kick a bass drum, all right? And so, why do we go on mission to, 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 to far off places? Yes, because God says, go to all the nations, but we got to get out of our little white bubble, right? Our white Anglo-Saxon Protestant bubble. And so as God is looking down at his church, what he sees on Sundays, I know there's time zones and et cetera, in large part Sundays, but all throughout the week is a mosaic of people Worshiping Him. That's His church. That's His church. 
That's the building. That's the house that he's building. Now, we are a little mission outpost, local church that has an ethos of pasty white people, but we're fit together as a mosaic all across this world of approximately one billion people who believe, but that leaves seven more billion who don't. As another pastor says, missions exist because worship does not. Wish, missions exist because worship does not. They were robed in white with palm branches in, your, in their hands. You become part of the church, the universal church, when you believe in Jesus. And as it says later on in this passage that we'll read, our robes and clothing from Genesis 3, when, when God made clothing for Adam and Eve, all the way through Revelation, Clothing is used as a metaphor for righteousness. Our righteousness, our dirty rags, our dirty clothing is washed in the blood of the Lamb and it comes out white. You love that oxymoronic image? When you bathe clothes in blood, what does it come out as? Not white, right? Mamas, you ever try to wash blood out of clothes? like... I, want, I need some of this. I need some of this OxyClean right here, right? But that's what God does with our filthy rags is that He cleanses them completely clean. He turns whatever we think is righteousness into completely pure righteousness. That, that is the church. And they cried out, these people cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. Why is loud worship all right? What? They cried out in a loud voice. See, the first thing that strengthens the church, the first thing that strengthens the church is this. We praise the Lamb for salvation. We praise the Lamb for salvation. That strengthens the church. I hope, I hope that you leave here when you come here on Sundays. I hope that when you leave because you have worshipped, because you have praised the Lamb for salvation, that there is something strengthening about that. That when you leave here, there's something inside of you going, mm, I'm ready to take on the world. And if not, man, we need to like reevaluate things. Through all the silliness, through all the laughter, through all the fun, through all that stuff, that we always come back. We always come back to Jesus, the Lamb who saved us, who shed His blood so that we can dip our clothing into His blood and it comes out completely pure, white righteousness. And that's why we sing. That's why we worship. That's why we praise. That strengthens the house. And for those of you just kicking the tires of church and wondering about this God thing and wondering about this Jesus thing, we do this publicly so that you can get a glimpse of God. And go, man, maybe he's not who I thought he was. And maybe this, this church thing's not what I thought it was. And what I've experienced in the past maybe wasn't what I was supposed to experience with church. That's why we do this. And that's why we do it the way we do it. 
so that the laughter brings down walls so that maybe you can see God for who he really is. What else strengthens the church? Well, we continue. The, the, one of the elders asked me, who are these people? Or, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Missed, missed where I was. All the angels stood around the throne, the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell face down before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Now notice that they're, they're worshiping, they're praising. These are angelic beings. These are heavenly beings. These are people. These are, they're beings. They're created, but they're not people. They're not humans. Notice they don't worship Jesus for their salvation because they can't be saved. Heavenly beings don't need salvation and can't receive salvation. They worship God for his attributes. Humans get the chance to worship God for their salvation. So what else strengthens the church? Then one of the elders asked me, who are these people robed in white and where did they come from i said to him sir you know then he told me these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation this is one of those parts that i have kind of a different view than probably what would be popular among the church go figure especially if you've read the left behind series highly entertaining i don't necessarily agree with how it's all going to lay out so does that make you pre-trib, post-trib? I don't give a rat's behind trip? That's me. What greater tribulation is there, especially if you read this in context, what greater tribulation is there than our own sin? There's no greater tribulation than that. Revelation chapter 6 is all the seals. Not, uh, 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 but opening up a seal. And it's pretty wild stuff. And as I read Revelation chapter 6, it, it reads as what is opening up on the earth because of our sin. What greater tribulation than th that we have to come out of than our own sin? Right? Because he goes, these are the ones... Coming out of the great tribulation, they washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. The immediate context is what? We come out of the great tribulation by our robes being made white in the blood of the Lamb, right? Which is the washing away of sin. See what happens when we actually read in context? It gives us kind of a whole new perspective on things. For this reason, because of this, because their sin is washed white, they are before the throne of God. Look, look, what did we talk about last week? They have, we have direct access to the throne room of God. We get the chance, as Hebrews says, to come into the throne room of God confidently. Not cocky, not cocky, but confidently we get to walk into the throne room of God whenever we want to. They stand, they are before the throne of God, and they serve Him day and night in His sanctuary. How, does, how is His house strengthened? We serve Him day and night. Now maybe you're like, oh, does that mean I have to become like a monk or a nun or something and, and start, start my hums? 
हम 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 दी हम दम हम हम लाइक इज दैट लाइक वट इट मीन्स टू सर्व गाड डे एंड नो नो नाउ सम पीपल डू दैट सम पीपल सर्व गाड दैट वे एंड दे हेल्प अदर्स फाइंड हेम But in Matthew 25, Jesus tells us that those who serve the least of these serve me. Those who serve the least of these serve me. So when we serve the least of these, when we serve people, we serve Jesus. When you go to work, you have great customer service. And you serve people. Christians should have the best customer service. Because we believe that everybody has honor and everybody needs val- is, is valuable and everybody deserves to be valued. No matter how much of a pain in the butt they are. When we go serve people in our jobs, as Paul says, work as unto the Lord. We serve the Lord day and night. And look, 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 look. When you get the chance to serve shoulder to shoulder to somebody, with somebody, and you get the chance to serve other people, and you get the chance to serve the least of these, those of you that go to the community kitchen, when you walk away, aren't you like built up? You're strengthened? Yeah. When we do the Christmas party, by the way, it's on the calendar for a nightlight. Paul, what day, what Paul, Paul, what do you remember off the top of your head? I forgot off the top of my head what, what day it was. Near Christmas. But nightlight. When we do that, with those of you that got a chance to do that, you walk away going, yes, strengthened. Band, when you, when you play out in the community, Relay for Life, for Pumpkin Days, don't you walk away going, that was a lot of work, but yeah. Aren't you strengthened? That strengthens the house. When we serve the Lord, when we serve other people, because that's serving the Lord. One more way to strengthen the house. They serve Him day and night in the sanctuary. The one seated on the throne will shelter them. They will no longer hunger. They will no longer thirst. The sun will no longer strike them, nor will any heat. For the Lamb who is at the center of the throne will shepherd them. He will guide them to springs of living waters and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I view this as a current reality, not a future reality. Not to say that's not going to be a future reality, but I read this as a current reality because I read this entire passage as a current reality. It actually makes more sense that way. We already had one oxymoronic uh, metaphor. Clothes dipped in blood, right? And they come out white. Notice the other oxymoronic metaphor? For the lamb. We'll do what? Shepherd. Isn't that a funny mental image? The lamb's on four legs. And then it stands up. Ah, follow me, you know. I think God kind of intends it that way. Why? Because it causes us to stop and think about it. 
causes us to stop and think about it. Think about this lamb who actually shepherds. It's crazy, right? But what is he saying? Shepherd is a metaphor throughout the Bible for king. And lamb is what's sacrificed all throughout the Bible. He is the king who laid down his life for his people. And it says that the lamb, the shepherd, will, will shelter us, will protect us. We will never hunger and thirst. This isn't talking about physical hunger and thirsting. This is talking about the spiritual hunger and thirsting that causes us actually to sin. We want to fill up our hunger and thirst for whatever we're hungering and thirsting for, but when we go sin, we realize that it's empty. It's like eating sand. And Jesus tells us that he is the bread that we eat. And we'll never hunger again. And the, the fountain of water that we drink, that we will never thirst again, that inside, if we come to Him, that inside hunger and thirst, will never, will never, will never hunger and thirst again if we go to Him. And then He says that, that the scorching heat won't touch us. Now this doesn't mean that we won't ever go through the dry times. That we won't ever go through the desert times. We don't read the Bible honestly if we then read this and think it's all roses and daisies and, and frolicking through the lilies. Israelites wandered for 40 years and were slaves for 400. Paul says, I know what it's like to minister with my belly full and my belly hungry. I know what it's like to minister with a lot and I know what it's like to minister naked. And you're like, oh, TMI, Paul. <laughs> right? Like, whoa, didn't need to go there. And did you save anybody doing that? But it doesn't mean that we're going to not go through the desert. What it means is that we've got a shepherd protecting us through the desert and that even though things get hot in the kitchen, we can stand the heat because we've got a shepherd who is guiding us and protecting us and leading us. We moved this week and the number one reason why we sold our house was because the equity built in the first house allowed us to pay off our student loan, which was our last unsecured debt. Boy, that's the definition of unsecured when the only thing securing the debt is a piece of paper. It's fantastic, right? But why do we share that stuff on Facebook? Yeah, it's nice to get likes and etc., but it's to strengthen other people on the journey. To say, we didn't all, it was a 10-year journey. And through the middle of those, if you would look at our tax returns, you would wonder, did you add debt? No. Every year we got rid of debt. That even in the desert, God led us, guided us, and protected us. Now, if I were to grade us, 
during these last 10 years? Uh, B minus tops. There are times that was like B, barely eking out a D in our faith. But sometimes in the desert, what do you do? You crawl. Right? And you wander. And it's a hard time to know if God's really there or not. That's why we need verses like this. See, the people reading Revelation were going through intense persecution. And they needed to know from God that He was leading them through this desert that they were experiencing. That He, got, he has them, He's sheltering them, He's protecting them, He's guiding them. He is the King that died on the cross for them to be saved. And ultimately, the fact that they're Robes were white is all that matters. We are strengthened when we actually find strength in the Lamb. Find strength in God. And it's our journeys together that help strengthen each other. When we hear one person's journey that like leads us to go, we can do this, I can do this. If they did that, I can do this. Over the past four weeks, when we've taken a look at, at all the, the house and what it, how it's supposed to function and the fact that we're supposed to open the door for people to stream in and that the rock is Jesus that we're built on and that He's building us together. He's building us as a people and He's, he's given us ways to strengthen the house. Look, if we figure out these four weeks, I, let me go out on a limb. This would not fly in seminary. But let me go out on a limb. This is what God cares about. There were debates in seminary. What makes a real church? What they came down to? Do you do the Lord's Supper? And do, you do you do baptism? Hogwash. That's outward stuff. Are you doing the vision of God? If we get these four weeks figured out, there's a lot that God's going to look over. Shoot. People in Corinth were sleeping with their stepmothers. Paul still called them a church. I'm not giving you ideas. <laughs> Just an illustration that God forgives. God forgives. Churches that we would disassociate with if they were down the road, God in His Word calls them a church. It's tough to swallow. It's God. What's the ultimate thing that we need to come back to? Come to the throne. Come to the throne. Stand in His throne room. Hear and follow Jesus. As a church, if we decide to do this and always keep the door open, 
God's going to do something with this church. Starting next week, we'll see how this fleshes itself out in real life. But have you ever come to his throne? Have you accepted his forgiveness? Have you desired his righteousness? Have you put your life into his hands? I invite you to do that this morning. And for the rest of us that that's settled, come to his throne is a daily invite. A moment by moment invite for all of us to live in his throne room every day. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this day and I thank you for this time and I just pray that you will just welcome us into your throne room. Let us, let us see and experience what it's like to be in your throne room. Strengthen us through these songs we're about ready to sing. Show us what it's like to serve you by serving others day after day. And let us, in the times of abundance and in the times of desert, know what it's like to be strengthened by you. Let us be in your throne room constantly. In your name I pray. Amen.